Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. France has qualified for Euro 2020 and will be spending next summer in as yet unknown destinations, hopefully one of which will be Wembley and uh, hopefully as well none of which will be Baku. We will of course discuss all the latest from Les Bleus today, including the victories against Moldova and Albania. And we will be joined by Bobby Warshaw to talk about Thierry Henry finding a new managerial job over in the MLS. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham, and I'm joined here today by Adrien Drill. Hi, Adrien. Hi, guys. Hi. Are you excited for the Euro? Uh, I am. I'm pretty excited. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so am I. I just want the season to be over and so we can start that. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, also with us is Clinton McDovis. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing, Clinton? I'm great. I'm great. Absolutely buzzing. Hey, tell us about uh, Victor Osimhen, obviously a breakout uh, Ligue 1 star who had a good weekend for Nigeria. I think he's going to be the best Nigerian striker since Yakini. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Loves him now, so like he's just great. Absolutely, I'm so so happy that he plays for Nigeria. To be honest, like as in our national team setup, two he's goals, amazing, and two assists, two assists. against yeah. uh, who was it? Lesotho. Oh, Lesotho. And yeah. he, he also um, had an assist the other day, or a goal. I can't remember. Oh, a goal, a goal, the other day as well against Benin Republic. Scoring okay. penalty. Yeah, exciting stuff. So joining us now to talk about Thierry Henry's appointment as the new manager of the Montreal Impact is Bobby Warshaw. Bobby Warshaw is a former professional football player, played for FC Dallas and played in the Swedish and Norwegian leagues. He's now a football writer, currently writing for MLSsoccer.com. Hi, Bobby. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you for coming on. Um, how, was, uh, how was the international break treated the United States? Good for a change. I don't know if you can say good, but, you know, we got back to beating Canada, which is, I think, where we all at least expect to be. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, we have you on here today to talk about, uh, obviously, Thierry Henry, uh, not because it's the 10th anniversary of his infamous handball on this day today, um, but because he's been appointed to a second managerial position uh, as a head coach for a football team and that is Montreal Impact of the MLS. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the reaction uh, in Montreal and in MLS circles to this appointment? The reaction has been very, very excited. Uh, we'll get into him as a manager, but just in terms of a hire and a person and the notoriety that it brings your club, I have to think that Thierry Henry is in the top five of options for, for, for managers around the world. Right, I would say it'd be Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, uh, Jose Mourinho. Here in the United States, you would put Herrera, the Mexican coach, into that category as well. And I think number five would be Thierry Henry. And that doesn't mean that Henry is as good of a coach as them. It means that when you get that notification to your phone or when you're talking to your friends, it creates as much of a buzz. You know, maybe Zinedine Zidane is next on that list. Um, but yes, it was it was a very very big news, and I would say generally exciting and welcomed around Major League Soccer. Wow. I have to say, I did not expect, you know, such enthusiasm. Uh, top five is, is definitely <laughs> uh, well, very high it, it, Yeah, we should go. Like, it doesn't mean that he's going to be as good of a manager as those mm. guys. But if sports are about entertainment and excitement and the majority of people are not Montreal Impact fans or fans of a single team, for everyone else, it's just fun and games. Yeah. And Thierry Henry is a fun, interesting guy. And he's a, I mean, he's a well-known guy in the MLS. What kind of trace did he leave when he left? Ooh, he was, he was hot and cold with Red Bulls, both as a player and a person. When he was on, mm. he was unstoppable. And his teammates tell you that. I had a chance to play against him. There is nothing like playing, taking the, the field against Thierry Henry. Like there's this, it was impossible to stop him. Um, and I think that's true in Major League Soccer, just like it was true in the Premier League and La Liga, right? Mm. Uh, but. He also had cold streaks as well. Um, you guys know him as well as anyone. I don't know if temperamental is the right word, but emotional. And if he wasn't feeling it that day, he didn't play as hard or as well. 
so he left Major League Soccer with some incredible moments, but I actually think, and most people would agree, that he probably could have done even more. Wow. Did you ever concede any goals to him while you played against him? He It was two assists, unfortunately. I, clo I remember closing him down in midfield. And Ooh. you know you can't get too close to Thierry Henry because <laughs> he's going to drag it and beat you. So I give him an extra couple feet. And what's he do? But pick up his head and clip like a 50-yard ball to the back post for a goal. Yeah. Uh, At I, least I that's remember, how I remember it. Mm, I remember watching him play a few times, too, for, for New York. And, yeah, he, he was sometimes a little casual, but always, always standing out on the pitch, really. Technical mm -hmm. ability was unbelievable. Um, what the part of... that pertains, the part that pertains to him being a manager that we should add is that his teammates would talk about how he got frustrated because the thing about Thierry Henry is he could do everything. Mm. And when it came to his teammates at Red Bulls and even at Arsenal, from what I understand, was that if players couldn't do what he could do, he struggled to conceptualize that. He struggled to explain, hey, why can't you just play this 50-yard ball to the back post? You're open. That's the right play. And part of being a manager is being able to do that, right? Like, At me personally, as someone who had almost no natural ability, I feel comfortable explaining how to do different parts on a soccer field. But for Thierry Henry, he could just do them. He never had to think about it. Mm. And that's gonna, I mean, that's what we're finding out now is his challenge as a manager. Yeah, and and that's exactly you know one of the things we noticed uh, at Monaco was uh, his frustration sometimes at, at the mistakes some of his players might make. And maybe sometimes a little bit of an excessive reaction, as you might be suggesting. What kind of squad is he going to be uh, leading at, at Montreal? Can you give us a little profile of who's there? Is it a young team, experienced, so on? Yeah, let me give you a maybe a Premier League reference. I would say he's inheriting... Uh, that's, there's actually no way to compare it to a European league. I mean, Montreal's talent... Montreal's talent is in the middle to bottom half. Like, if you were to break it into four tiers, I would say they're in the third tier. They're not the worst roster, but they're not in the top half of rosters. Um, oh, wow. Partially, they have some big names. They have Bohan, his former teammate at Barcelona. As of right now, they have a player, Ignacio Piatti, 35 or 36-year-old Argentine, who, even though he's older, is still very fast and one of the better players in the league. They have Samuel, Samuel Piet, a defensive midfielder, who's very good. Uh, they have Safir Tider, who is on loan from Bologna in Italy, who is very good. After that, there's a little bit of a, of a slip. Uh, so he's he's inheriting a roster that certainly needs improvement. Is uh, Bakri Stanya sticking around for another season? Oh, yeah, he does have Sanya. But Sanya is not the same Sanya. And he should, I would guess, mm. that he will get converted to center back this year. He doesn't quite have the energy or the pace. It seems to me like they should move him into, into right center back. Interesting, yeah. And, and what kind of formation does uh, does has Montreal usually played up to now? They played a four three three almost exclusively, and they were the the really the one team in the league. Remember their former head coach, uh, you guys know as well, Remy Gard. Absolutely. Uh, off, he was really the only coach in the league who was fine being a defensive team. Major League Soccer has this thing where because we are theoretically a league of parity, meaning all of the teams are relatively similar. Every team tries to play against each other even, right? It's not like when you turn on a European game and there's clearly a better team and a worse team and the worst team sits deep and tries to counterattack. Most MLS games are pretty open and pressure on the ball. Uh, Remy Gard was the one coach who said, we're going to defend in a 4-5-1 and we're going to hit you on the break. Um, at the end of the year, they played a little bit more of a 4-4-2 with Bohan and, and Piatti up top together. What kind of uh, environment is the impact as a club And and what do you know? What pro, pro, prerogatives Henri will have as a manager? Is he going to have, you know, a hand in recruitment or not? What? How much do we know about that? That is a great question uh, because the Montreal <laughs> Impact are probably the most volatile club in the league. They have an owner who's extremely hands-on, Joey Saputo, uh, and I would say if you're new to Major League Soccer, everyone in Major League Soccer expects to win every year, right? It's the same in all American sports, like even. Mm -hmm. You might be the worst team in the National Football League or the NBA, but you kind of expect to at least make the playoffs, and you make the playoffs, you have a chance. So every team in MLS has the expectation they at least make the playoffs. Uh, so that'll be the bare minimum. Uh, Montreal also plays in CONCACAF Champions League because they won the Canadian Cup. So they'll have a chance to take mm -hmm. on the best teams in Mexico as well 
three or four years ago, they actually made the final and only lost at the very in the second leg of the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all to say that Montreal is a very volatile club with high expectations, which really for the rest of us makes it one of the most fun clubs to follow. Awesome. And kind of culturally in Quebec and and uh, in the city of Montreal, you know, what, where obviously it is not, uh, it's not on the same level of passion as the NHL mm-hmm. possibly, uh, but is there is there enthusiasm for this team? Is there great good support? Yes. Hold on. Let me. I know you asked one more question there about recruitment. Uh, Montreal's oh, yeah. technical staff just got shook up. They basically fired the technical staff, hired a new staff. So we don't know exactly how that will function. We do know that they were structurally behind other clubs. Their only advantage was the fact that the co- the owner, Joey Saputo, also owns Bologna. I, I believe it's – I'm 99% sure it's Bologna. I might be having a, a brain fart there. But he owns a Serie A club. That gives him the benefit of being able to move players back and forth. So you take a player like Safir Tider. This year they also had Lassie Lapalainen on loan. So they have these fringe Serie A players that they can bring in. Other than that, though, they were behind in terms of their front office structure, um, which means that, and you would imagine if you're going to hire Thierry Henry, you let Thierry Henry recruit players, right? Why else would you have a guy that famous um, Mm. and not have him pick up the phone and make phone calls? Uh, In terms of fan bases, they're in the middle of the road. Uh, They average 15 to 20,000 fans. Um, When they're winning, they're very good. They're very buoyant. Um, so they're they're good, not great, um, but they are traditionally pretty solid. Is that a fair answer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a- another question, another, you know, French manager of Henri's generation made a similar move a few years ago, and that was, of course, Patrick Vieira, who, who took over at uh, New York City FC. I think right when the club was created uh, was when he joined them. Um, what kind of, you know, What comparison can we make with 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 Vieira, and, and can you tell us a little bit about how Vieira himself fared in MLS? Um, mm-hmm. Whether there was a learning process, or or was was he doing well right from the start? Yeah. So one thing I would say is that Vieira had he, he coached for New York City FC, who is owned by City Football Group, Manchester United, or excuse me, Manchester City's organization mm-hmm. which means he had the benefit of their recruiting system like new york city football club has gotten almost a hundred percent of their signings right because they have the full city football group scouting structure so Vieira had a very good roster um that included you take a player like angelino angelino who is now starting for manchester mm-hmm. city was on Vieira's uh team i think his first year um And the reason I so he had a, he had a, a very talented team. What was interesting about Vieira was having him figure out his methodology because he had ideas. He was detail oriented. He wanted to build from the back. He had uh, nice pa- patterns in the final third, but he almost did it to a fault, and they would lose games because they would make mistakes when trying to build out of the back and pass through midfield. But over that final. I would say year in New York City or half a year before he went back to France, you could see him develop. He started to get a little better with his pressing systems, with his transitions, that he went from a coach who was all about passing and possession to someone that could get his teams to do more. It was fun to watch his development as a coach over his time in New York City. And what kind of results did he get? Very good. I mean, when he left, when he left, I can I can look back through the previous years, but when he left New York City in 2018, they were one of the two or three best teams in Major League Soccer. Uh, in 2017, which was his last full year, they finished second in Eastern Conference. So he was considered one of the best two or three coaches in the league. Yeah, that's that's uh, very interesting. Um, and Wait, I guess give, me, give me the how's he? What's his perception in France now? Uh, well, it, it's a little bit mixed. I mean. They definitely, last season, it was his first season last season, wasn't it, Clinton? Mm-hmm. Confirm? Okay. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, yes, he left, near, he left in the summer of 2018. Yeah, he definitely, we saw the similar kind of stylistic um, ambitions as, as the ones you described that he had uh, for New York City. Um, the problem was the their squad really lacked offensive players. Um, 
apart from Balotelli, who of course left and was barely even playing um, because he didn't really want to. Um, but that meant it, they were just kind of struggling up front at times. Uh, but they were very solid defensively. Um, and this season is a little, it's not quite as good. But I don't know if Clinton, um, you you have any strong opinions on this one? Well, I, I think um, generally he's still um, quite highly rated for him to still be linked with um, jobs like the Arsenal job. Mm. It shows that he still people still believe that okay he can do big things with you know a, a more expensive squad a bigger squad or something. But I don't think things are going so well so far this season though. I think um, he showed that he could you know organize a defense last season because um, Inez defense was really strong. But this season the team has not looked as strong. So I think um, it's really hard to gauge what the perception is at this point. But I think as at last season was probably more highly rated than he is now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and definitely, well, I think this season he has had, well, Nice have had a lot of problems with injuries and suspensions in defense, which has obviously not helped him. Um, and going forwards, they're a little bit over-reliant on, on just one or two players, uh, namely Yusuf Atal, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Anyways, uh, back to to, uh, to to Thierry Henry. Um, was there anything you wanted to ask Clinton uh, of Henry? Yeah. Or about- um, yeah, I was going to ask um, because um, Montreal Impact have not um, made the playoffs in, since about since 2016, I think. Um, is this something that um, Henry can deliver, in your opinion? Do you think that um, Harry will be able to deliver that at least a playoff place by you know the next season? Yes, in Major League Soccer, you can turn around very quickly. I mean, you can look at Minnesota United, who for two years in their first years in MLS were very bad, one of the worst uh, teams in league history, and then in the third year they make two crucial signings, Ozzy Alonso and Ike Opara, and all of a sudden they're fighting near the top of the conference. So in MLS, you're really only one or two players away. And you would have to think that with Thierry Henry's ability to make phone calls and recruit players and Montreal's seeming willingness to invest the money, that Montreal can certainly get back into the playoffs next year. All right. Um, Also, I wanted to ask, um, you you have someone like, um, you you mentioned um, Piazzi. The um, Argentine player. Um, he's he's a legend at Montreal. I I wanted to. I was wondering if he's the kind of player that you think Henry will get along with, because that's one problem that um, Henry seems to have at Monaco, getting along with you know players and just having that backroom problem. So I'm I'm wondering if someone as influential as Piatti probably is in that team. If that's someone that Henry would get along with. Or fall out with, you know, based on his personality. That's a the you know maybe the most important question of all these. Mm. I don't have an answer. Here's all I would add: is having been around professional coaches in their first year, their early stages, and now as I start to get my coaching badges and I start even youth coaching, uh, the one thing that that's the hardest. It's not setting up cones. It's not talking tactics. It's your reaction to mistakes and or losing right even coaching youth soccer right now my team loses and i think to myself do i need to be harsh on them and you know pull out the old hair dryer treatment or do i need to pat them on the back and say it's okay you know it's every even with individual mistakes that's always a decision and the problem is once you do it you never get a chance to redo it with that team the damage has been done if you make the wrong choice and you upset a player you upset a team you can never do it again what I'll say is that I have personally, and I think all young coaches learn every single time. It happens, they do it, and they know whether they got it right or wrong. Um, so I think that everything that Thierry Henry did at Monaco, he will have registered in his brain. And I'm not going to say we should forget everything that happened, but I think that there should be a real expectation that he will be much better in those aspects because it's extremely hard. You do it poorly, you get punished for it. You got fired from Monaco, and then I think you get a chance to redo it and do it better at the second club. So I would expect Henri to be better at that. Great. And and, and one more question, Bobby. Mm -hmm. Um, 
seeing as we have you on, maybe just a little bit of context with uh, Remy Garde, who was obviously former mm -hmm. Lyon manager, fired from, from the impact back in August. What went wrong exactly uh, for him? Why did, why did the club want him to go? Oh, first of all, I've been trying to get that pronunciation right for two years. Man. <laughs> you, why did they get it? Why did they get it wrong? Uh, well, part of it was that their team was built around Piatti and he missed the first five months of the year with an injury. And it was this weird mm. ankle and then knee. And also, you know, most, most teams around the world, especially in MLS, if you're missing your best, most expensive player, you're going to struggle. And I think that Montreal and guard actually did pretty well with it. And it just caught up to them. And then they went uh, more than a month, I believe, without winning. Uh, and it was just bad form. Um, and my understanding, too, and you guys would know, I guess they went throughout the summer. They had two wins in 13 games. And mm. my understanding, he's not the most, uh, the easiest guy to work with. So all of a sudden, when your team isn't winning and the manager is, is not, is a little bit difficult, most guys are going to get fired. Uh, but I think for the most part, he did a good job. And then he hit a poor run of form near the end of the season when teams need wins immediately. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thanks so much, Bobby, for coming on with us today. And mm -hmm. um, hopefully, uh, you know, we can have you on uh, sometime once the MLS has started and catch up a little bit on how uh, Henri is doing. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Right then, uh, let's talk about uh, France's matches over this international break. Back on Thursday, they played Moldova at the Stade de France and won 2-1, despite going down after just uh, nine minutes. And uh, on Sunday evening, it was a match over in Albania to inaugurate Albania's new national stadium and to finish the, uh, the qualifiers for Euro 2020. France won 2-0. And that's where we're going to begin. Uh, Clinton, it was, uh, you know, something completely unheard of. Well, not completely unheard of, but uh, in a very long time for the French national team. Didier Deschamps decided to play with three at the back, which is the first time that happens since 2004. Uh, the formation was a 3-4-1-2 with, uh, with uh, Griezmann playing as the number 10. Benjamin Mendy and Leo Dubois as the wingbacks and uh, Kimpembe, Langlais, Varane uh, as, as, as centre-backs. Ben Yedder and Giroud up front. Giroud coming in, uh, yeah, last-minute selection for uh, uh, Kylian Mbappé, who was uh, yeah. ill. So what did you think of that uh, tactical decision by Deschamps? I was absolutely surprised. I, I've always looked at Deschamps as someone who doesn't really like to, you know, take so many risks or experiment so much. Mm. I think he likes to stick to what has always worked for him. So it was really refreshing to see because, I mean, I've been wondering when he's going to try something different, you know, sometime. And this was this seemed like the perfect opportunity and he took it and it was very good to see that at least he explored that and that's that now becomes you know an option for france going forward uh, i thought the the setup was good even though the performance wasn't you know out of this world but it was still a decent performance there were some good you know showings from the players and generally i i thought it was it was it was good it was good it was good to see Adrien, do you think this is a you know another string on France's bow going forwards, or was it just a decision for for one match? Um, that that's a very good question because I was uh, just like Clinton, very surprised when he mm -hmm. uh, when the lineup was announced, and I think uh, it was interesting to see because the, the, as you said, as the, the first time under Deschamps that France played like like this and um i mean i think it can be a, a possibility for for Deschamps in the future but uh knowing him i mean you know he's very very pragmatic and i think he was i mean i think maybe he will try this system again in in the upcoming games but i don't see this system like for the euros i'm not quite sure i mean I think the 4-2-3-1 Deschamps system 
is the one he might choose. Well, I, I don't I want to I don't want to predict, but uh, I mean, yeah. But anyway, that that's another another string, uh, as you said, and I think that's quite interesting to try it away from home. Furthermore, mm-hmm. against you know against the kind of opposition that France has maybe struggled against a little bit in these qualifiers, um, but totally. Yeah, an early goal against Albania uh, from from France with a Toriso header on a Griezmann free kick kind of spared us that trouble this time around. I also think, as you mentioned a little bit, Adrien, it's, it's maybe kind of due to circumstances because uh, over the weekend, Kingsley Coman had to pull out from the squad with an injury and uh, no replacement was brought in. Mbappé was not feeling well, as as we know, and that left only uh, Thomas Lemar as as the only uh, wide uh, midfielder slash winger uh, in the squad. Well, you might say Griezmann, but that's a that's a a, a bit of a touchy debate <laughs> in some circles whether he can play on the wing or not. Uh, in any case, well. he's he's probably better as a number ten, uh, I would say. Um, but but yeah, in the absence of that option, Deschamps kind of decided to give the wings to wingbacks um, in in Mendy and and uh, Dubois. Clinton, what did you think of of how both of those players performed uh, yesterday? Given that they're not usually starters on the national team, well, I think um, Dubois was very good. I think he was very sensitive. He looked very confident, you know, going forward and you know, bombing down that side. Um, Mendy, not so much. He looked okay, but it, it wasn't mind blowing stuff. At least not on the level of you know Dubois. I thought Dubois was better. Uh, and I, um, Kimpembe kind of operated very wide. You know, in defense. So sometimes he seemed to even um, venture into Mendy's space at some points during the game. But mm. overall, I thought Dubois was better. But um, both both functioned well enough to you know. Um, Mendy for Dinia uh, by the I think 75th minute, and um, Dubois was much later. But um, I thought Mendy was okay until he went off. Um, Dinia was quite good too when he came on. So um, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, with Mendy, it's always the question of whether he's physically ready, um, yeah. coming back from injury again, and it looks like he wasn't quite, you know, at the top of his of of his game. Um, and as you mentioned, Kimpembe was very much taking advantage of, of that opportunity to run yeah. up and down the pitch. Uh, yeah especially with three at the back, which seemed a little more than necessary. And I agree that Dubois had a good game going forwards, but I was almost surprised that uh, he, you know, he had several opportunities to cross and he never really took them that well, except the one time where he somehow finished up on the left side and, and played the pass to, uh, to, was that, was that on the goal? It was on the goal, wasn't it? He gave the ball to Griezmann who scored. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. He ended up on the other side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a uncontrolled charge all the way over there. Um, and Adrien, what what do you think of a, another player who's uh, kind of he's been quite important for France in this qualifying run? It's Corentin Torisso, who who played six in a row uh, this uh, this season for France. And yeah. uh, has uh, kind of, you know, made the most of the absences of Pogba and, and, and Kante and uh, Matuidi uh, yesterday. What did you think of his performance? Well, um, as you mentioned, he he played a lot of games uh, in a row for France. And, well, I think um, I think he was he was very good, very lively. He was, uh, I mean, we we didn't. I mean, I didn't know that he was uh, he could be a threat on on set pieces, and I mean, he scored a great header, and um, yes, he really uh, made the most of of I'd say in in particular Pogba's absence because mm. he reminds me more of Pogba's in in the way he goes forward. You know, he tries his luck from long range, and that's the thing. I mean, I really like from. Um, with him is like 
he has this uh, this this I mean this ability to to create spaces and to try his luck. I mean he doesn't he isn't shy. He he tries. Maybe that's the Bayern Munich uh, you know uh, mentality. I don't know, but uh, he's a very he can be very um, just like Pogba does. What in a, in a, not maybe not as skillful and as uh, physically impressive as Pogba, but he has this, uh, he's the, the more like attacking minded player with um, alongside Kante, you know, in the, in the, this tomb, this, this pair of midfielders. Mm -hmm. So yes, I, I think he's been very, very, um, very, very interesting and, and a good, and a good, and a, a good alternative for, for Deschamps. Yeah. He, uh, He started next to Conte, as you said, back on Thursday against Moldova, um, and then Conte was was rested uh, for this one. Hopefully, Frank yeah. Lampard will be happy about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we wish Frank Lampard would be happy with the Giroud's goal scoring record as well, but <laughs> that's yes. a, an, another touchy subject. What did you guys yeah. think of of the of the front trio uh, against Albania? Um, I mean, I think uh, well, from my from my part, I think uh, it was kind of a new uh, association between the, the 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 three because I mean, I don't think they ever played together. Or maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, I think it was the first time. Uh, Uh, so Griezmann, um, Benyeda, and and Giroud playing alongside. So I mean, mm. I think I was kind of kind of impressed by by Giroud because he's a a permanent threat on 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 set pieces and really um, against those kind of this kind of teams, you know, very uh, solid and uh, playing at the back. And I mean, he's. Uh, a threat on free, on, on free kicks so and on corners and uh, I think the Banyer and Griezmann connection was kind of interesting as well to be fair and Clinton what about the Giroud and Banyer connection uh, I think it's it probably <laughs> probably needs more uh, games to function but yeah mm -hmm. they probably need to play more to be able to function together i don't yeah. think france even have that luxury of more games to make them job but um i thought griezmann himself was absolutely fantastic uh he was everywhere he was you know breaking through and creating chances and just setting up everything and then was that pass to Giroud that should have been a goal the one that he did oh, post yes yeah absolutely you know I thought Griezmann was good. He was one that connected. And there was also one where he tried to give Benyeda just making it one time. Tried to, you know, square it to Benyeda again. I thought Benyeda was not... I don't think he has taken his opportunities. I mean, you don't get many opportunities when you are not really um, Deshaun's favorite. So, <laughs> when you do get the opportunity, you're supposed to take it. At least <laughs> find a way to score a goal. You have to hustle for a goal somehow. But... Um, he wasn't able to take it. Uh, I thought Giroud was better than him also on the day. Um, but overall, I think the star of the show was really Griezmann. And in, he, right. the way he interacted with both of them and tried to create for both of them, I thought it was really, really delightful to see. Just a pity we are not seeing that you know, in Barcelona because of you know where he's functioning from. Just... Yeah, and the, the, the Barcelona situation, it, it ties into you know his question of his confidence and there was a lot of talk of how this was it would have been Griezmann's I think eighth match without scoring for France um yeah but but he did score uh which but I think the assessment that you know he had a goal drought or whatever I I thought this was a little bit unfair because he's been crucial in these qualifiers and he's had yeah was it nine assists this year for France or something I think eight. yeah and eight Maybe yeah, with another well yeah, including the one on on Sunday, uh, for Toliso, um, and yeah, I'm, which is you know one of the best totals in across across Europe for for these qualifiers. Um, yeah, Adrien, thoughts on on Griezmann as well? Um, no, yeah, uh, what um, I mean, Griezmann is you know the the funny thing about him is 
quite like Giroud, in fact, to be fair, is that he has, on one, on one hand, he has great stats, as you said, like nine or eight assists. But in the meantime, it's, it's a player who's not, who hasn't, uh, I mean, who, who you, you can't judge this player just on his stats because he brings mm. so yeah. much more in, in game and he's so important in the, in the way he, in, in the transitions between the, the defense and the attack and the way he moves and the way he creates spaces. And I mean, that's why, um, that's a shame uh, at Barcelona that he's, I mean, like he's, Exiled on a, on a on a wing because the the real the real position of I mean his real position is like like, like at the number ten spot and I mean it's uh yeah so he brings so much in, in for France and uh, the fact he has he has I mean he has he has uh, figures as well is very 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 I'm, I'm very happy for him yeah uh, as you mentioned like. What he and what both he and Giroud bring is defensive efforts, which you get from so few attacking players. The amount that they put in at the yeah, back, yeah. And pressing the, the, the or, funny, or tackling. Yeah. The funny thing about Giroud is that that's maybe why he is so criticized sometimes in France, is that the fact that people always remind the like one-on-one situations where he misses, mm. although. Um, he's as uh, as we said, and he's so so useful on on set pieces, on corners, even in defense. He's tall; he can hit the ball to help the defense. Uh, and I mean, so this is a player that who's always criticized, but always, I mean, he always performs for France. So again, he's kind of like the same, not the same situation as Griezmann, but he's not very feeling pretty good at Chelsea well that uh, horrible situation but yeah that, that's parallel parallel between the two is, is quite quite interesting I think the yeah. thing with the... go okay. for it go for it Clinton okay yeah, I say I agree with you on Griezmann um he has so many intangibles that he brings in he was actually the um, top assistor for the um entire European qualification for all of it yeah okay. uh, yeah seven oh. assists um but he also had three goals and that's um, second highest for France for um, during the qualifiers. But overall, I think what Griezmann brings beyond the um, the goals and the assists and the chances create, created even is those intangibles, the the, place, the positions he takes up in the attacking, you know, area, yeah. the the pressing, the, the the way he plays with people. I mean, um, the the other game when he had to play with Mbappe, the Moldova game. They had so many delightful one-twos. And Griezmann was just that guy that would just be there for you know Mbappe to give the ball to him and receive in a in a more dangerous position. He just has that ability to be in the right pockets of space, you know, to help advance the ball into deeper areas and all of that. And those are things that of course stars would not capture. But you know, he's just so good at those things. And it's really, really um I agree with um um, people that it's really um, really harsh to criticize to mm-hmm. criticize yeah. him for the goallessness because he was doing so much more he was contributing so much more beyond the goals but I mean modern football is really statistics statistics based so it's it's really hard for attacking players to not get criticized when they are not scoring oh. so that that's also understandable yeah. and just to end up on on, on Griezmann if I, if I may. Yeah. Um, the last thing I mean I think which is important is that maybe it's not we, we can notice it because we follow football but he's a very very good free kick and corner kick taker yeah. because yeah. The, way he bends, the way he bends the ball and I mean during for, for example during the World Cup he was very very mm-hmm. useful on this against Uruguay so against, yeah. and, and against uh, the, I mean that's, that's, that's an effect we don't really mention, but the way he, it, it's always useful to have a very, very good uh, set pieces um, specialist. Yeah. Yeah, six of France's last seven goals were on set pieces. Now, yeah. two of those would have been Giroud's penalties, and I think the rest of them are delivered by Griezmann. Um, the one for Tolisso uh, on, uh, on Sunday, of course, and then a few yeah. other ones. 
Uh, Varane obviously scored indirectly off of a set piece back against Moldova. Is, was there anything uh, you guys wanted to mention from that match? I mean, maybe we should start with the fact that France went down at home to a team that has only scored three goals in total in the whole qualifiers um, after a pretty terrible mistake by, by Clément Langlais. Um, it was a terrible mistake, yeah. <laughs> well, good, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw the, 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 um, the highlights again and um, I still can't really understand uh, the, the, this, this, this strange goal scored by Moldova because Langlais tries to head the ball towards, uh, towards Mondanda, but I don't know what, what happens. The ball doesn't go in the right direction. So, and then he's like physically um, pushed and so he loses the ball and he scores. That's a very, very strange game, but a uh, very, very strange goal, sorry. And a strange game as well. But. Mm. It was as if he was trying to juggle it <laughs> for no <laughs> yeah, apparent yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, but although in fairness, though, that striker who scored for, for uh, Moldova, yeah. you know, chased him down well. And for the whole match, that guy was, you know, putting the defenders against. under pressure. He was, he was quite good. Um, and and I, I thought the Moldovans as a whole, even though they're not supposed to be a very good team, I thought they played very well. And, you know, they scored, okay, but you couldn't really expect them to score any other way than the way they did against France. But they were valiant. They they really, they had some very good defensive tackles and, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, very yeah. nice contact block. Um, I, 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 I respected that. Yeah, they and did the, very well. They did. Mm. And France were poor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But performance they, was they struggle so, uh, so much against uh, like low defensive units, mm. you know. And uh, I think maybe I don't want to talk about the Euros too uh, too early, but that's may that's maybe the the only thing on which France is beatable is that. They really, really struggle when the the defensive unit is really low because they really struggle to, you know, um, create opportunities. Even though Griezmann, when he he does that, but I mean they are more like a transition team, and I mean they always always struggle against smaller teams. But I think against a very, very, very solid back four, back three, or back five, they'll struggle. Uh, so. It has to, Deschamps has to, to be uh, aware of this, I think. Yeah, and I think actually it was a little bit of that match against Moldova. I think there was some blessing in disguise in conceding that goal. Because, yeah. okay, you know, it's Moldova, point taken, it's, it's not a great team. But all of a sudden, by France being, by being one goal behind, France was under pressure at home against this bad team. You know, you can't allow that to happen. So there was a lot of pressure all of a sudden. And I think yeah. it, that it's one of the rare moments where it kind of recreates the same stress a little bit of, of a truly competitive summer tournament match um, where they really needed to find a solution. And, you know, we could see some frustration, some, some anger a little bit, maybe Benjamin Pavard, you know, almost lost his cool at one point in the first half. Um, but even though, I thought even though France, you know, it, did, they did, it didn't look like they were playing well, they were making a lot of bad passes and so on. I, I still thought there was, you know, an, an, a concerted effort to, uh, you know, improve concentration and, 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 and go get the win that was needed uh, yeah. against that team. Definitely. Would you say there was a foul by Giroud on the goalkeeper for Varane's goal, the equalizer? Wow. Go ahead, Clinton. Um... Well, uh, I don't think there was a foul. I don't. It's a tough one. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. it, it depends on the angle, I think, because at first glance, I, I really thought there was a, a handball, and then he touches the goal. I mean, yeah, that's very, very, very difficult to judge. Yeah, even though you can tell there's no intention because he's jumping backwards, he has no idea the goalkeeper is there. Usually that gets called. Um, yeah. True. Uh, True, but, to be fair. 
but we'll take it. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and then and then Giroud with the winning penalty again. Uh, yeah, I wanted to point that out. Um, is it is um, Giroud now the designated? Because Gris missed against Albania and then against Andorra in back-to-back mm-hmm. games. So after yeah. that, Giroud took it, took it against Iceland, and now he's taking it again. Looks like he's now the designated penalty taker. Yeah, well, I think it's temporary. In my opinion, yeah. it has to do both with kind of Griezmann's confidence problem back when he missed two in a row, but yeah, also yeah. with the fact that they want Giroud scoring to put pressure on Chelsea, you know, to say, you guys got to play this guy True. or you guys got to find a solution for him because we really need him. Um, yeah. And Giroud's, and, and there, there's also that thing where he's chasing down uh, you know, Patini's total and trying to become yeah. second highest. Um, that would be incredible, by the way. It would be, yeah. but I think, realize. yeah, but but I think uh, Griezmann, who is now on 30 as of Sunday, will be catching him up pretty quickly. <laughs> so yeah. if he does get second, he won't be there for long, but yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Anything to add on the two on those two matches, or shall we do a little bit of a more holistic roundup of the qualifiers? Mm, well, I don't think I have anything to add. All right. Me neither. Yeah. So we don't know yet uh, what group France will be in. We don't even know what hat it could be. Part one. It could be part two, uh, depending on some of the other results. Um, it's a very complicated draw, uh, the way it works this year. I don't know if you guys have looked into it, but it's... Yeah, I, I checked it out, and it's very hard to... <laughs> it's, it's chaotic. <laughs> because I think all host countries have to be placed in the group that plays in their country to start with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which doesn't concern France, because we're not hosting, but you know, it affects who we... the different combinations possible. Uh, so we'll have more on that, you know, in weeks to come or whenever they make the draw. Uh, but um, what do you guys think generally? Let, let's talk about squad, uh, squad-wise, comparing the World Cup squad to what might be the squad next summer. How many players are threatened at this point? Let, let's just start with the starters. How many of them, you know... Are threatened next summer. Umtiti. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That one's almost certain. Do, do you think Matuidi? Uh, uh, yeah. We always. But nah. That's exactly. He always. Seems, he always seems like he's. In, in bad shape or anything, but he always starts for France, and he's somehow always performing. So I think he'll be in the in the squad to be, be completely fair. No, in yeah, the squad, I yeah, so. I think he'll be in the squad. Um, eleven. But eleven, yeah, I don't know. I'm not too sure because yeah, with with right. with Kingsley Coman playing the way he's played uh, in the past few matches for France, you know, that's a very but interesting you, option on the left. Ah, uh, do you think? Do you think Coman can play on the left? I mean, I think he's more like a right winger, but maybe he can. I mean, but or well, they switch around. Yeah, you could have oh, you could have Mbappe on the left and and Coman on the right. Um, yeah, right. But I, I think against Moldova they started that way and then they switched in the second half yeah. uh, because I remember Mbappe was on Deschamps' side both both halves of the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, of course, Giroud, it all depends on January transfer window. Um, yeah. And that's crucial. I mean, oof. <laughs> I really hope something happens for him. It'd be great yeah, if he came to Liga. But <laughs> <laughs> true, true. What team would he yeah. join? The yeah, that's the question I'm um, asking myself. Because uh, his, his wages is, 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 is quite... Yeah, the enormous. wages is the problem. But uh, I mean, like, I don't know, like, yeah, Lyon, but would he start? I don't think. Um, 
Marseille, he could. Yeah. You know, that'd be interesting. But I, well, it's it's all you know. That's just us speculating. There have been stories about Inter Milan, however. I I think. Um, I think that would be a terrible idea. Would you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, because Lukaku and Lautaro are. That's fair point. Yeah. Yeah, and Conte loves them, so it's going to be. And he's not someone that, but he also loves Giroud, though. So, but I think in the end, it's now be like uh, rationing the time, the minutes given to you know the players, and I don't think that's what he needs. He needs to be a consistent starter, the number mm-hmm. one starter going into the Euros. So I don't think that's a good move for him. Hey, he could go to uh, Montreal and play for Thierry Henry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and oh and be, the, uh, be the André-Pierre Gignac of, of this Euro. Because Gignac yeah. was playing in Mexico, if you remember, last time. <laughs> and still yeah, called up. Yeah, true, so. true, true. But I think, I think, I think, I think, may, uh, well, if, if oh, of course, if Giroud doesn't, play at all uh, until the Euros, he will not be um, in the squad, but I think Deschamps has total confidence in Giroud and somehow he'll be in the squad. In the starting 11, I don't know, but in the squad for sure. Even no matter where he plays, even in Montreal, I think he'll be in the squad. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Um, And are there any... Players we see making uh, maybe a surprise appearance or a late run, you know, getting a call up for the Euro. I'm thinking, you know, Mitri Payets. <laughs> that, that would be he classic. Has, he has a way. He has a way of just doing it. He has yeah. a way. He's going to. He's going to pick form now and just <laughs> absolutely become undroppable. That would be great fun. Um, I keep on thinking as well, Musa Dembele. Uh, oh, yeah, he keeps yeah. scoring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, right. I really, I really rate him well. Um, and maybe, hey, who knows? But if he really becomes consistent and performs well, I think Jeff Renadelaide would be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. True. Because I think, I, I would say, you know, Sissoko is a man of confidence for Deschamps. Yeah, he'll but be. there's there's some young players who could be taking his spot oh, soon. Yeah. Um, I know what, I don't I, I don't think Ben Yedda would make it. No, you don't. I don't think Ben Yedda would make it. I know it, it sounds um, crazy because I, he's he's in so much form for club, but mm. as we've seen with Deschamps, if if it's not working out in the national team, if you're yeah. not giving him what he needs, doesn't care about your form at club level, he'll just you know drop you. So, I don't think um, Benyada has taken his chances so far, and there's a huge chance that he would be left out if he doesn't step up for France. Don't, 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 don't you think don't you think it all depends on Giroud, because if Giroud... True, um, true. It does. It does. I mean, does. I think if Giroud makes it, uh, Deschamps will, will, will want to choose a, another profile. Of striker, yeah. and it'll be like a competition maybe between Dembele, uh, Benyetta, and I don't know uh, another one like like I said. Even though I think like I said will not make it, but you unlikely, know, yeah. But... Yeah, be- because in good. France they are always they are comparing Lacazette and and Benyetta quite a while, quite quite a lot. Even though Benyetta has a much better season, but they are, they are kind yeah. the kind of mm. same player, so. Yeah, yeah, and there's always uh, Alassane Plea lurking as well, who Deschamps is a fan of. But I agree that oh. uh, if Giroud if Giroud doesn't find a new club, and Ben Yedder can't pick up his form with the national team, uh, we might have a, a little problem there because I think Mbappe is as number nine for France is never. It's not natural for him to be there. It doesn't yeah. really work with the team. Um, yeah, with the way they are set up, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's uh, it's a uh, that's uh, could be a, an issue, but of course, France yeah. doesn't need strikers to win tournaments. We <laughs> we we get around that problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so the question, the, the interesting points will be like at the back and at like goalkeeper spot, for example. 
who would you see uh, making in the squad? Because uh, is I mean that's a question I'm asking to you. I mean, do you mm. do you think, for example, Areola or Mike Mignon? Because Mike Mignon is, has been quite good. Or you know, there's I mean, I think I think Mandanda is going to make it because he's been really Very good, good lately. Yeah. But yeah. the third one, that's a detail. But I mean, Lecomte, Mignon, Areola, those are three keepers who are quite on the same level, I should say. So. Well, Probably Mignon, just because Areola hasn't played a huge amount for Madrid. If well, if things stay the same, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I would I would also be I would also say it depends on the level with which Loris comes back for Tottenham. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, exactly. Sure. Because let's say he's for whatever reason, even when he's back from injury, let's say he's not playing that well. You mm-hmm. you could have Mandanda in contention for the starting position. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that would be a dramatic scenario because I think Loris still has a, a very strong lead and it would really take some, some bad form for him to lose that. But I know, uh, he's the captain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he should be there. And then and in the defense, defense will probably stay the same in starting 11, apart from Langley in for, in for Umtiti. And then maybe some changes as the for the number twos. Yeah, left back yeah. is very competitive actually. This is new for France, but we have what we yeah. have four players who could play there now, between the two Mendes, Digne, and uh, and uh, Lucas, of course. I, guess, yeah. I think yeah, I think I think Benjamin Mendes. Uh, I mean, I'd be surprised to see him because yeah. I think Digne, Digne and Hernandez, when he's fit, obviously, mm. and he's fit. Uh, in my in my personal opinion, the two one the two left backs. Uh, I mean, Deschamps should rely on, but that's. I mean, who knows? But um... yeah, and of course, on the right side, Leo Dubois and his fantastic aviator mustache yeah. <laughs> have taken over <laughs> Sidibe. <laughs> wow! Yeah, great guy, great guy, Dubois. For the, I mean, for the chemistry, he's a really nice person. Mm. But I think, uh, it can add, it can be an asset to the team. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll of course uh, be following this closely. And uh, there's no yeah. France match until March. Uh, and then there's three, there's only three games left before, between now and the announcement of the 23 man squad. Uh, so. It's a uh, yeah, not, not a lot of time as usual. Well, a, a lot of time, but not a lot of time for the French team to prepare as a group. Yes. Uh, so we'll be following all of that closely here at the GFFN show. Um, let's go over some of the other news very quickly from this weekend before we wrap it up. Uh, the U21s played. Uh, they played against Georgia in their qualifiers uh, for the Euro. Um, it was a 3-2 win for France. Two goals from Jeff Adelaide and <laughs> one from uh, Odson Edouard, who cannot Again. stop scoring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, this guy is not stopping. Yeah, he's, he's been... What a season he's had with the U21s. Uh, and they play again t- on Tuesday against Switzerland. Uh pursuing that campaign. And then the U-17s, who, who we've talked about a few times in the past few weeks, uh, their World Cup campaign finished on, thir- uh, on Thursday. Well, last week they lost to Brazil in the semifinal. Uh, they were leading 2-1, but ended up losing, I think, 3-2 was the final score. And then, yeah. and then won the third-place match against the Netherlands, 3-1, with a hat-trick from PSG's Arnaud Calimundo. Now... Yeah. Adrien, I think you wrote an article for GFFN on the U-17s. Uh, I did, I did, indeed. So who, who, who are the uh, main guys to look out for from that team? From that team, well, the, um, the most uh, famous, uh, I should say, uh, the most highlighted players were the, the front four, uh, with uh, Adil Aushish playing at PSG, who's been nominated, I think, uh, who's been given the second best. Second best. Yeah, uh, trophy, uh, player trophy. Nice. And uh, I, I think best uh, assister as well. 
I think he had, he had this, the, the highest amount of assists. Uh, there was obviously um, Jorginho Ruter from Rennes, who was playing as the number nine, and uh, the two wingers, uh, Isaac Lihadji from Marseille and uh, Nathanael Mbuku from Reims, mm-hmm. who were like very pacey wingers. Uh, I mean, I think Mbuku finished at, as the second uh, scorer in the in the World Cup. Yeah. yeah. So a very very entertaining team, and I mean that's cool. That's great for for them that they. Finished on a on a on a high note, I should say, against uh, against the Netherlands. Finishing third is always better than fourth, and you know, on the on the podium. And so, yeah, yeah, and just a little bit of disappointment that they didn't make it to the final because it, they do seem like quite a good generation. Considering a goal in the last like 94th minute against Brazil to oh no, yeah, quite horrible. Oh dear, yeah. Um, a big game in the Women's League over uh, the weekend as well. Uh, the biggest game, in fact, between Lyon and PSG, the uh, two uh, Ogres title contenders, the only title contenders. It was played at the Groupama Stadium in front of a record crowd of uh, 30,600. Uh, so not, not bad turnout for a very cold day. And uh, Lyon got the win 1-0 with a header from Saki Kumagai on a corner, um, you know, very much in the uh, in the footsteps of, of Wendy Renard, who usually gets those goals for Lyon, uh, but she was suspended for that match. That gives uh, Lyon a three-point uh, lead in the table over PSG. So essentially the league is over. That is what that means. <laughs> um, oh, dear. <laughs> and then uh, no Ligue 2 but there was Coupe de France over the weekend and Ligue 2 teams were involved in that uh, and it was a pretty disastrous weekend for them actually 8 out of 20 were knocked out including oh. both uh, Ajaccio sides and Sochaux losing against uh, lower division opposition uh, the big fixture was of course lorient Guingamp, a derby between two Ligue 2 teams uh, which Lorient won three 0 Obviously, they're kind of one of the best Ligue 2 sides this season. Yeah. My favorite match from the weekend, guys, was FC Lyon against Atletico Marseille. Oh dear, yeah, <laughs> the small Olympico. Very much. Uh, <laughs> FC Lyon, who play in in second regional division, which is the seventh level, and yeah. uh, Atletico Marseille, who play in the fifth level. Uh, and Marseille, well, Atletico Marseille obtained the win, 1-0. Apparently, it was a very tight match. Uh, I wouldn't actually know this because for some reason they didn't have it on TV. But uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, an interesting reunion between uh, two, two cities <laughs> one week yeah. after the, the, the big yeah. Olympico. And uh, before we wrap it up, uh, we have a Twitter question here from, let me just put it up, um, from F.I. Genesis, who asks us, what's happened to Amin Gouri and William Goebbels, oh. two, uh, two talented young prospects? Have you guys had any news from them recently? Goebbels, I think, yeah, I've heard from him i mean he's still at monaco if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm correct he is yes but i think he's been injured a lot and uh he hasn't been really playing for the first team uh maybe for the for the youth one but I, to be completely fair I, I mean i quite forgot he was at monaco and uh even though he he, he arrived at la principauté for a high price, I think, like 12, 12 million euros. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So the, 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 the stakes were high, but no, I think he was kind no, of sorry. No, um, sorry, sorry. The transfer was 20 million euros. 20, okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, so no, I think he was quite unlucky to be fair, but yeah, uh, he's apparently out with a uh, knee injury, a uh, cruciate ligament yeah. injury. Uh, which is unfortunate, but the, I've also heard stories that 
you know, Leonardo Jardim doesn't really count on him for some reason, yeah. um, which tends to happen to slightly random people. Uh, and then, I mean, Guari, <coughs> he is still at Lyon, uh, and he has played in the youth Champions League this season. Uh, but I don't think he, he I don't think he's made any senior team appearances. No, he hasn't. He did play for the U twenty ones in yeah. September. That's it. Uh, so there's your answer for that. Thank you, Clinton. Thank you. And thanks, Adrien. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Great to have you both on, as always. I hope to speak to you soon. And uh, as always, if you want more information on French football news, you can follow at GFFN on Twitter or check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. We'll be covering all the latest as usual. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. On Thursday, the preview show is back with Louis McParlane and his crew.